0: We're thinking on Sunday evenings about why the Lord Jesus Christ has to be an integral part of Christmas. What is the Christ of Christmas all about? This evening we're going to think about the fact that it is he who gives spiritual sight those who are spiritually blind now when it comes to the gospel of the lord jesus christ unbelief has nothing to do with the intellect believing the gospel does require a certain amount of mental faculty because there are truths which need to be understood but unbelief is not a lack of mental faculty Unbelief is a lack of spiritual faculty It's not that there's something lacking in our mind It's that there's something lacking in our soul As long as someone remains in spiritual blindness No amount of persuasion or clever argument is ever going to bring them to the point where they finally see and accept the gospel. Now these realities are important to remember because they'll play a big part in how you go about seeking to share the gospel with those who as yet don't know the Lord. Last week we read from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is reading from Isaiah chapter 61 He's in the synagogue in in Nazareth on the Sabbath day. And having read that scripture, he declared to them that he is the one of whom that scripture is speaking. One of the things he came to do was to preach deliverance to the captives. And we looked at that last week. Another thing he came to do was to preach recovery of sight. To the blind. I reminded you of that image that we have in the book of Judges of Samson after he's been captured by the Philistines. He's blinded, they've gouged out his eyes, and he is bound and thrown into a prison cell. Now Samson never recovered his physical sight. But he did nevertheless start to see things clearly again as his spiritual sight was restored to him. I want to show you this evening that the loss of sight which Jesus says he has come to recover in those who are blind. That this is a vital part of our being brought to salvation. And... It is something which only he can do for us. Let's begin with an illustration. Imagine that inside someone's head, there is a set of balance scales which weighs everything up. And in terms of the gospel and the truths of God, as we find them in the Bible, On one side of the scale, we find unbelief. That which keeps them from believing the gospel. That which stops them from accepting the truth of the Bible. So you've got this large pan on this side of the balance scales, and it's weighed down, and this is unbelief. And on the opposite side, you've got this empty pan. Into which you start to place all those things which you hope will outweigh their unbelief and tip the scale onto the side of believing. So we've got unbelief on this side and belief on this side. And the scale starts like this with belief, with unbelief, dominant And what we want to do is build up belief so that it tips the balance this way. What will you place on the side of believing? Well, they'll need to know the basics of the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal God who came into this world in the form of a man in order that he might die for sinners in the place of sinners to take upon himself the punishment which belongs to sinners so that sinners may be set free from their sin and be forgiven. All of that will want to go in, won't it? And that same Jesus, having been buried, rose from the dead the third day in the power of an endless life and lives forever. And that all of this was according to the scriptures. we put that in on this side and, hmm, the scale hasn't moved. Well, I'll go into a bit more detail about sin and grace and mercy. I'll expand a bit more about how it is that God justifies us in Christ. And I'll throw in some big words like justification and sanctification and propitiation Maybe that will help to balance things out. I'll emphasise their need to repent. I'll tell them about all the wonderful blessings and privileges of being a Christian. And I look at the balance scale. And it hasn't budged an inch. Okay, well what I'll do, I'll get them to listen to better and more gifted preachers. And we'll put that in. People who are really good with words and have excellent illustrations will pour all that in on this side. Well, the scales creak a few times, but there's no real movement. Is there a method I can learn from someone? Is there some system, some style of approach which I can adopt, which will lead them systematically, surely, to drawing the obvious conclusion? Well, we'll throw all those things in as well. I'll go and find some clever answers to all of their objections. I'll get them to listen to some gifted apologist. Who will show them that the Bible stands up to scrutiny against science and philosophy. Well, I'm throwing all of these things on the side of belief. And occasionally... Well, it might seem as if the unbelief lifts slightly, but then it gradually just settles back down again. And, well, you check all the things that you've put on the side of believing. Well, the, gosp- the gospel's there. Well, that's a given, isn't it? They'll never get saved without the truth of the gospel. And you look through all the other stuff that's in there. There's some really good stuff in there. There really is. No one would dispute how good many of those things really are. But it's still not working. It's not shifting the balance. Why not? What's missing? Well, there are many helpful and legitimate means open to us in our efforts to communicate the gospel. But there is also one vital truth regarding the people with whom you share the gospel that you need to recognise. Some of you may remember the entertainer and ventriloquist uh, Keith Harris. He had a stage prop called Orville the Duck. And one of their signature routines was a song which Orville would sing. I wish I could fly way up to the sky, but I can't. Now you see, that's the problem that unbelievers have. It's a deeper issue than they will not believe the problem is they cannot believe they lack the spiritual capacity to be able to see it they can't see it they they don't get it it's reached their ears it's reached their eyes it's even reached their intellect But what it hasn't done is penetrate their soul. Now we've been considering a hymn by Philip Doddridge. The third verse of that hymn says this, talking about Christ. He comes from thickest films of vice to clear the mental ray. And on the eyeballs of the blind... To poor celestial day. Well that's quite quaint 18th century language isn't it? But the first line is simply saying that on their own they just can't get it. And the second line is saying that on their own they'll never see it. And the saviour has come to enable them to get it and to enable them to see it. Well, let's consider some things from the Bible. I don't actually have any points for this um, sermon this evening. Uh, Not points in terms of giving it a score, but, you know, point one, point two, point three. Um, I went through it and... I couldn't quite work out where to put the points or what to call them, so I didn't bother. So let's just make our way through this topic this evening. Let's think about a few of the things that the Bible says, which really help to unpack this whole issue for us, and explain why it is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. What that means, why it's so important. Well, first of all, let's consider something from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him? that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Now, Jesus could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And, listen to this, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Think back to that weighing scale inside people's heads. Let's place on this side of believing this, being an actual witness to the teaching and miracles of Jesus. Here's a man or a woman who's been exposed to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, and that gets placed into the side of believing. Surely that will be enough to tip the scales. But what do we read? Jesus marveled at their unbelief, which hasn't moved, not an inch. Even he, in terms of the things which he said and did in front of them, it made no difference to their unbelief. Isn't that remarkable? Listen To the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and I'm starting to read at verse 12 and he's speaking about anyone who's a Christian he says we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Paul is saying that Christian believers are people who have received God's Spirit that we might know. It's verse 12. We don't receive God's Spirit because we have received and understood the gospel. We receive and understand the gospel because we have received God's Spirit. And he has enabled us to receive and understand the gospel these are not things that can be taught by means of human wisdom he says in verse 13 taking hold of gospel truth does not come through the same means by which you understand maths or science or history it takes something more than the application of the intellect they are spiritually discerned he says in verse 14 and the natural person in other words as we all are naturally in our sin and in an unregenerate state before God the natural person doesn't receive the gospel because they can't receive the gospel they don't have the spiritual aptitude and vitality which is necessary for it. And the Bible shows us that it doesn't matter who the preacher is or what powers of rhetoric he may employ. We saw that passage from Matthew 13 where Jesus is talking with his disciples and they ask him, why do you speak in parables? He says, it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it hasn't been given. I speak to them in parables because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Remember at the end of the parable what Jesus said? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So many of them don't have ears to hear. And he says it's the fulfillment of what we find in the prophecy of Isaiah. Blessed are your eyes, he says, because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. Many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, but did not see it. They desired to hear what you hear. But they did not hear it. Jesus was speaking in parables. A good illustration. That's what they need. That'll cure it. Well. Jesus was all for using good illustrations. But even the illustrations that Jesus used. So often left his listeners completely in the dark. Or perhaps they enjoyed the story but they didn't get the message. Now You might have jumped to the conclusion that when Jesus taught in parables, he did it because he knew that everyone would understand. Everyone would get the story and what it really meant. The truth of the matter is, many of them never did. Some, of course, did see. Some really did hear. But many didn't the whole world has not believed on Christ the whole world has not been saved even in his day when he was walking this earth many have been called but only a few have been chosen many have chosen the wide gate and chosen to walk on the broad road which leads to destruction but comparatively few says Jesus have gone through that narrow gate and walked that difficult path which leads to life everlasting. But there are those who do believe. How do they believe? Why do they believe? Well, you have to note what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 13. It has been given to you to know. But to them, it has not been given. We're confronted again here by the awesome mystery of God's electing grace. It's been given to you to know. You could never have known otherwise. But now that God has given it to you, you can. And if that's you this evening, well, you can only fall at his feet in thankfulness and praise that he has given to you the gift of faith, the ability to see and hear the gospel, really see it and hear it, and to take hold of Christ. God moves by his spirit amongst men and women and boys and girls. We saw it on Wednesday evening, didn't we? God has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face face of Jesus Christ. You might think, you might like to think that simply asking people to look into the face of Jesus Christ is enough. But such is the nature of their heart such is the hardness of the heart such is the darkness in their heart such is the weight of unbelief on the scale they have to be given the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ then they see And it's because Jesus, by means of his Spirit, continues to give spiritual sight to those who were blind that men and women and boys and girls continue to be saved today. And it's because of that that with confidence and in hope we continue to preach the gospel. Because we know that there are those in whom Christ will continue to. To restore sight where currently there is blindness. It's because of this that we need to spend at least as much time talking to God about the lost as we talk to the lost about God. Because there's a work that only Christ can do in them that must be done. There's a work which only Christ can do which will bring blind sinners to see him as they need to see him in order that they can embrace him the way they need to embrace him as Saviour and Lord. To see this explained in a stunningly simple way, we take ourselves off to the riverside in first century Philippi. It's the Sabbath, and it's become a tradition there that probably in the the afternoon, probably after synagogue, the Jews would take themselves down to the riverside, and there they would sit and pray. It's a rather peaceful and comforting picture that that conjures up in the mind. And on one particular Sabbath day, the Apostle Paul is in town, and he hears about this place where they all go, and so he takes himself off down there, too. But, of course, he never misses an opportunity to share the gospel with people and to speak of Christ, and he begins talking with a group of women, and one woman in particular, who we're told is a worshipper of God. So here's a woman who presumably might be quite receptive to the things that Paul has to say. You might imagine on that balance scale, Um, To offset her unbelief, the fact that she's a worshipper of God, that might go to some way in shifting the scale. Will that be enough to move it as Paul explains the gospel to her? No, it isn't. Even someone who might be quite receptive, that on its own still is not sufficient what do we read there in Acts chapter 16 about Lydia the Lord opened her heart so that she could heed the things spoken by Paul now the scale has tipped here's the problem you see that balance scale is actually locked in the position of unbelief it doesn't matter how much weight you put into this side the scales not going to budge because it's locked there the Lord opened the lock in Lydia's heart and then then Things began to change and unbelief gave way to belief. But the key was the unlocking of her heart. That work is God's alone. With the heart opened, with the heart set free from its hardness with the blindness removed, with sight restored, the gospel does its saving work under the agency of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have family members and close friends and they have remained closed to the gospel, some of them for many years. What are we to do? What are you to do Talk to the Lord about them as much as you talk to them about the Lord. And in fact, as the years go by, it probably will be the case that you talk to the Lord about them more than you talk to them about the Lord. Beseech him, plead with him to give them ears that will truly hear, to give them eyes that will really see because he has opened their heart to the gospel of Christ. Pray that he would remove their blindness, granting them sight, that they might accept the good news of Christ. Pray, as we sang before, that the spirit of faith would come down and reveal to them the things of God, Make to them the Godhead known and witness with the blood. It is for God the blood to apply and to give them eyes to see. The one who did for guilty sinners die, that he surely died for me. No man can truly say that Jesus is the Lord. Unless God takes away the veil and breathes the living word. Maybe you are that person, still in unbelief. And again and again, you've heard the gospel explained. And in terms of a theory, because, well, up to now, that's all it's come across as to you, as some kind of theory. Well, there's nothing particularly that you find yourself disagreeing with. But for all that, you still just don't get it. And it hasn't got you. Not yet, anyway. And you can see that for other people, this is far more than just a theory. This is real. This is true. Well, what about you? Well, I would encourage you to acknowledge before God that you have a blindness that means that you just cannot see and ask him to remove it. In fact, let me ask you a question. Do you want to see? Do you want to see it? Do you want to be able to get it, understand it, have it grip you the way that you've seen it does for others? Do you want to see? Jesus once asked a blind man what he wanted him to do for him. Might have seemed a bit of a silly question to ask, really, given all the healing that Jesus had been doing. But he placed that man in a position where that man had to say to Jesus, Lord, I want to be able to see. I want you to give me sight. Do you want Jesus to do that for you? Because if you do, I would encourage you to, to pray on to the Lord, plead his mercy. And plead his grace, acknowledge your sins, ask him in his loving kindness to open your heart and to give you ears that really do hear, to give you eyes that really can see, that you may believe. And we'll be praying that for you.